Hi, everybody. I'm Brian Norcross. This is podcast number seven of Hurricane Season 2019. My partner, Luke Doris, is uh, off today, so you've got just me. But we have my great old friend, Josh Morgerman, who has taken hurricane chasing to a higher art in his new show about his exploits called Hurricane Man. You'll enjoy hearing about his adventures and, and what this new show is all about. Uh, so we'll talk to Josh here in just a moment. I told you last week that Jim Cantore would be on this week, but we had some technical issues, and Jim will be on with us uh, next week. In fact, we're going to have two podcasts for you coming up next week. We're recording this on Wednesday, or today is Thursday, actually, Thursday, August 15th, 2019. If you're listening at some point in the future, you've got to tune into Local 10 in South Florida or check the Max Tracker app or the Local 10 weather app for current information. Now, last week, Dr. Phil Klotzbach was on the podcast, of course, and he, uh, with Colorado State University's team there, uh, projected for the rest of the hurricane season 12 more named storms and six more hurricanes. And here we are entering the peak of hurricane season. 90-plus percent of the uh, significant storms, the Category 3s and above, occur in the next two months between today, August 15th, and October 15th. And uh, the ramp-up is pretty dramatic here in the last part of August on average, but we are not seeing it. As a matter of fact, the Hurricane Center is projecting here from the 15th up to the 20th that we will not have any named storms. In fact, there will be no development in the tropical Atlantic. And if that happens... This would be the slowest start to a hurricane season since 1982. You have to go all the way back to 82 to find a hurricane season that has been this late developing, although everybody hastens uh, hastens to mention the 1969 started late. But this time in August of 1969, Hurricane Camille uh, was named a hurricane. It would hit two days later. So hurricane season by today was much farther along than we are here in 2019. And then uh, last week, NOAA came out with their update, and they actually increased the number of storms. Their main thinking was that El Nino is uh, diminishing. The effect of El Nino, in theory, would be lower for the rest of the hurricane season. And you can see a pretty direct correlation uh, normally between El Nino and the Atlantic hurricane season when there is an El Nino, when the water in the Central Pacific and other aspects of the atmosphere over the Pacific are, are in El Nino state, uh, when the water is warm, that tends to increase wind shear uh, and unfavorable upper-level winds over the Atlantic, and that tends to keep the number of hurricanes down. So uh, Noah's thinking was that the uh, El Nino is diminishing, and therefore they bumped up their hurricane numbers uh, just slightly to 9 to 15 named storms, 10 to 17 total hurricanes, uh, 4 to 8, I'm sorry, 10 to 17 named storms from, from 9 to 15 to 10 to 17, and then from 48 to their final 5 to 9 hurricanes. But the models uh, are certainly not bullish about anything here in the next two weeks. So it's uh, it's a very interesting hurricane season. And uh, and we'll see because there is also a correlation is if once you get to about the middle of August and you have a 
a slow season, then you're more likely to have a slow season uh, in the total in the end when you correlate the slowness of the season. That's especially true when you get to September. But uh, anyway, we'll see. It's one of those years where some things point up, some things point down, and we can just say that uh, <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> so here we are talking about hurricanes. All right, uh, so um, as I mentioned, Josh Morgerman, is a guy who sits in Los Angeles, and when a hurricane or typhoon or a cyclone is developed anywhere in the world, he's staring at the models and just trying to decide whether to chase. So, Josh, uh, thanks so much for being on the podcast with us today. Oh, my pleasure. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, before we talk about your like past uh, exploits, of which you've had... Uh, quite a number, an amazing number. Tell us about Hurricane Man. What is it and where and when can people see it? Hurricane Man is a new series and uh, there's really nothing uh, like it up to now. I'm very excited about it. It's a, it's a show about hurricanes. Um, I am Hurricane Man. <laughs> uh, so I hunt hurricanes around the world and uh, basically there are three film crews that follow me. Okay, and and one actually sticks with me as I hunt down the eye of the storm to collect data. Another crew embeds with a local family in the path of the storm uh, to get the experience through the eyes of normal people. And then a third crew embeds with local emergency services as they're like rescuing people and stuff. So wherever the hurricane or typhoon or cyclone is happening, could be the USA, Mexico, Philippines, Japan, wherever, you're getting this kind of multidimensional look at what happens when a hurricane or a typhoon crashes ashore. And it's really cool because it gives all these different kind of angles on it. So not just Hurricane Man's perspective, but the perspective of normal people and people who are like working to save lives. So the series for this year now, is that uh, covering last hurricane season or are, are you looking for uh, other stories and, and somehow trying to update them? Exactly. So, so series one, which is or season one, which is about to air in the U.S., uh, that covers last year's chasing. So it's all the 2018 storms. So we shot everything between August and October last year. And actually, I should point out, last year started kind of slow too. I remember we were, you know, we got the green light from the network and we were all ready to start shooting, and there was like nothing to shoot. And then, boom! Uh, then, then it was like ten weeks of nonstop shooting. So that uh, the producers and directors made that into eight one-hour episodes, and uh, it's uh, already played in England. It's actually a British series. It was a British production company and a British crew. In fact, everything about the show is British except for Hurricane Man, <laughs> who's very, very American, very Californian. Uh, and it, it premieres in the U.S. on September 15th. That's a Sunday on Science Channel, 9 p.m. Eastern on Science Channel. And actually, it starts with a double episode. First two episodes air back to back, which is cool because the first two episodes are about the unbelievable nuclear grade impact of Hurricane Michael in Florida. So it's a very dramatic opening to the series. Yeah, it was. Uh, you were kind enough to give me a little preview that I watched last night. It's, it's really uh, beautifully done, and, and the stories are gripping. I've seen the first one. I can't, I can't wait to see the second one. All right, yeah, so you're living in L.A. now, and which is not the most common place for a hurricane guy to live. But tell us how you got involved in hurricanes, and, and did you ever think about studying meteorology as a result of this? Yeah. You know, the, the, my obsession with hurricanes, it goes back literally as far as I can remember. So I grew up on Long Island, you know, which is a, like a suburb of New York city. And, uh, 
you know, we'd get hurricanes on occasion, just kind of the unraveling type that would be shooting up the coast. And I remember even as a toddler, I'd just get like so excited, you know, when one would approach, you know, and the house would start to shake and the trees outside would be waving. It was, uh, you know, it was almost like, like a drug-like reaction I had. And, you know, I don't know why I would get so excited about it, but I would. And, uh, and you know, and I think that for storm chasers or guys like me, I think I literally, I, I think it's just like a, it's like a, it's just, it's a bug you're born with. You know, it's just this itch in your head. You know, so you was it Hurricane it, Gloria? You it. Were you there for Hurricane Gloria? Yeah, it was actually before then. Okay, I was I was a toddler. The very first hurricane I remember was was uh, Bell in the 1970s. Now I was I was very young. I was a toddler, and it hit in the middle of the night, so I don't mm -hmm. remember the hurricane itself. But what I do remember was I woke up the next morning. I walked outside the house, and I just I, the, the neighborhood was so smashed up I couldn't believe it. Like it just and and that started my curiosity of like what what happened? Why does the neighborhood look like this? Gloria happened when I was a teenager. I was a um, I was a full-fledged weather nerd by then, and my parents had given me a barometer for Christmas, like Christmas before, uh, you know, with like you know, the old-fashioned kind with like a dial and everything. And uh, oh my God, I was like so excited as it raced up the coast. I couldn't believe it. It was like my good fortune, you know. And uh, the actual center of the track passed right over my town, and I remember, you know, I was just getting really into the storm. And then uh, we lost a really, a really, really big tree, the biggest tree in the entire neighborhood, came crashing down, and my mother started to cry. And I, I went from being very excited to just feeling terrible. And I remember my father looked at me and said, you know, is that what you wanted? And uh, <laughs> what was interesting about that moment was it, it was the start of my very complicated relationship with hurricanes, meaning I, I've, I've always had this passion for them. I get very excited about it. And then I, and then there's this side of me that hates them. And, and the two feelings kind of, uh, you know, coexist in me and it's, uh, and it occasionally creates kind of a very, just a strange, uh, strange feeling for me. Yeah. You know? When you talk to people here in South Florida that haven't been through it, they, they will often say, Oh, I hope we have a hurricane. I, I want to experience that. But of course, once, uh, once they experience it, they never want to get near it again. So I know you, you, from the time you were a teenager and, and growing up, you kind of dabbled in it for a while and, and then um, uh, it, this turned into this uh, almost obsession to get yourself into the eye of these major typhoons yeah. and cyclones all over the world. Was there some something that that uh, took you to that next step? Yeah, it's a great question. So I, you know, I was a I was a hobbyist as a teenager, and I remember I wanted to study meteorology. And my father, interestingly, who came from more of a, a technical background, he was an a civil engineer. He my father felt that my, my parents were <laughs> those kinds of parents who were very, very involved with every aspect of my life and made most of the decisions for me until I went away to school. But my father decided I was a liberal arts guy and that, that, that I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't go into the sciences. And uh, so I went away to college and I studied history. Um, but here's the deal. I actually think my dad was right. I, I actually, I, I think that I took the right path in life. Um, and I, I actually, I'm not a meteorologist, and I always say I'm not a scientist. Um, and I, and I, my role in the scientific community is exactly what I want it to be. So I'm not a scientist, but I, I hunt down data that scientists use. Mm -hmm. 
I'm like I'm basically like a like a like a hunting dog with uh, devices with measuring devices, and and I like that I like having that role in the community. You know what I I don't I didn't want to take all those math courses and I didn't and I never wanted to be a, a, a forecaster or a scientist. I just wanted to hunt down the storms. So the chasing really started in earnest. Um, my first chase was actually in college. I was uh, I was living in Washington D.C. for the summer doing an internship. And uh, Hurricane Bob was going up the coast, and uh, I was. This was 1991. I was too young to, uh, to, to, you know, rent a car or, or really. I, I had like very little resources. I didn't even have credit cards back then. So my first chase was uh, in a train. I, I took a train up the coast, <laughs> trying, <laughs> trying to get to Providence, Rhode Island before before Bob got there. So uh, you know, and I just had like a you know a duffel bag with two hundred dollars cash and uh, you know uh, some a paper tracking map. This is remember this is before the internet. This is before mobile <laughs> yeah, phones. I remember or, it or before well. most people yes. had mobile phones. Right. So uh, so that was my first chase. It was very primitive, uh, you know, and then that was followed by uh, Hurricane Brett in Texas in 1999. That was the first time I actually got on a plane and flew somewhere to chase. Uh, but, you know, but these early chases were very, you know, they're kind of very primitive efforts. I didn't bring meteorological devices. My early chases, I didn't even bring cameras. I know this is going to sound crazy to people because people equate, okay, if you chase, you're obviously chasing to shoot video. Believe it or not, that wasn't the initial motivation for me it, it actually didn't even occur to me to shoot video i just had this almost like primal desire to just be in the hurricane and experience it in the moment not document it not record it not measure it not shoot it just experience it and i didn't actually start shooting video until the mid 2000s yeah and when you think about it um, for many people of course they do it on their phones and the iphone didn't even come out until 2008 as a practical matter and it was sometime after that before the cameras were really good so the, that's why we've really ramped up and also cameras have gotten so much smaller and so much better so josh the first time that i think i became aware of your work was uh, super typhoon haiyan or yolanda as they call it in the philippines um, i had gone to tacloban after the storm in the week after the storm and of course you were there through the storm was that your first mega chase of, of just you know a, an incredible storm with uh, where you had you know, your full resources of cameras and barometers and so forth where you really took it up a notch or or had you done something before that I've been doing a lot of chasing before uh, uh, super typhoon Haiyan and probably one of my gr sort of greatest chases before then was category five hurricane dean on the yucatan peninsula in mexico uh so 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 I, I i chased some real kind of you know big game before then uh but with dean you know i, I didn't have uh, meteorological devices yet and, and stuff like that uh, i i would say super typhoon Haiyan. well you know it's it's it remains my top chase in terms of just the sort of uh the intensity of it the human impact everything about it it, it is it is probably going to stay at the top of my of, of my list of just kind of like unforgettable and, and, and by the way, truly horrible uh, things to witness. Um, and just for, you know, for your, your listeners, you know, who are American, you know, imagine something like hurricane Michael, but actually way, way stronger. So, so hurricane Michael was a category five, but, but just, just barely category five super typhoon, you'll uh, ty, ty, super typhoon Haiyan 
was way, way, way into the Category 5 range. These, the estimated sustained winds at landfall were 190 miles an hour. And that inner core of the, of the typhoon or typhoon and a hurricane are the same thing as everyone knows. The inner core of it passed right over a, a pretty big city, a city of 220,000 people, Tacloban City. And uh, I was there when it happened, and it was it was ugly. It was really ugly. Uh, and and w- one of the most dramatic things about that was uh, was the storm surge. It was it was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. Tacloban City is a it's on the, as you know, Brian. It's on uh, it's on the tip of a peninsula at the top of a very narrow bay. It's the bay and, uh, that that is the issue, really. It's like exactly. Tampa Bay or something. If, yeah, exactly. Super Category Five hurricane like, coming to Tampa Bay. It's that's what uh, that event was like. Exactly, and it would be like if a and it would it would be like if a if a a Category Five hurricane was moving northeast it passed just north of tampa bay so the so the winds were were pushing into that little bay and that's kind of what happened with the super typhoon hyan um it it passed just south of the city so the winds actually were forcing all of this water into this tiny tiny bay and it's what's called as you know brian a funneling effect and the funneling effect was massive and on the ground in the city what it felt like was or what it looked like was a basically like a tsunami a wall of water just rushed into the city and just completely flooded downtown at the height of the storm. And literally thousands of people across the city died in the space of like a few minutes. It was one of the most, it's just the most horrible thing I've ever seen. You know, after that storm, I didn't chase for a while. I was, uh, I was kind of, it really just, uh, I I was a little, uh, I don't want to say traumatized. I don't like using words like that, but I was, uh, I was kind of done with chasing for for a little well, while. Yeah, after that. I mean, it was it was an incredible trauma, and and you you tell that story really wonderfully on your website. Before we go on, as a matter of fact, for people that are interested in that story, where can they where do they go to see your, uh, you know, you do these wonderful summaries of your chases and and the, the people you met and so forth, uh, because I think your your high end. Uh, coverage and and the way you tell that story was is is uh, just unbelievable it's one of the unbelievable hurricane stories typhoon stories of all time uh where would people see that uh thanks brent uh so my work is uh is, is sort of neatly collected on my website it's icyclone.com just the letter i and the word cyclone icyclone.com just go to the uh, chases page and you can see all, all of my chases listed and if you go to any chase page if i've made a video for that chase it's there and if i've made any kind of report or summary for that chase it's there on the on the page for that storm all right icyclone.com we'll we'll uh, mention that again at the end and we'll put it on the uh, website as well. Uh, so the thing about Ian and that made it so horrendous was that bay you mentioned. But compare that, uh, comparing that to the U.S. and so much of the Hurricane Coast in uh, Tacloban, they had high ground, which is uh, away from the coast. But unfortunately, the poorer people in the city lived in that low-lying area, and they were the ones that suffered in the peninsula across the bay where the airport was was just completely uh, wiped clean i remember landing at that airport uh, one of the most amazing things i have ever done in my life to land at this airport that the, the walls were completely gone and they were yep. just kind of dumping the luggage out of the plane down on in a pile and you had to yep. get, get what you could find uh but so in this country 
in Tampa, for example, with a bay that sits there like that or other places that have a, even uh, Houston to some degree, you don't have high ground like in, in Tacloban where it really goes uphill relatively quickly. So, I mean, we can certainly yeah. have that kind of disaster here. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting. Everywhere I chase all over the world and the challenges wherever you chase are so different. So, for example, you know, in the U.S., we are very storm surge aware and probably not aware enough. Right. Like people can't be too scared of storm surge because it's so dangerous. But Americans generally, you know, especially along the Gulf Coast, you know, from Texas to the West Coast of Florida are really aware of this topic because one, it the, the, the land is so low lying and two because of the continental shelf is it's so it's such a gentle slope that it augments storm surge so you get these massive storm surge on the u.s gulf coast and they go like 20 miles inland in parts of louisiana it can happen and there's like nowhere to escape there's like no elevation what's interesting is when i chase in other parts of the world you don't have this problem like for yeah. example m most of my chasing in japan is on these little volcanic islands um with one, the islands are extremely hilly, and two, the the the, the sort of the, the the continental shelf under under the water is very steep. You don't get massive storm surges. So in some areas where I chase, the storm surge almost isn't even a factor. And it's, it's so it's really interesting how it's when I'm chasing in the Gulf Coast, it's like it's it's top of mind constantly. When I'm chasing Japan, I'm usually not even thinking about it. Yes, it's very very different. It's like the difference between hurricanes that go up into New England. Uh, with the exception of Cape Cod, uh, but uh, when you get a strong storm where you have all those rocky coastlines and, and so forth, first of all, the tide goes up and down dr dramatically uh, as opposed to in the Gulf, and also if, if it comes in at low tide, you can have oh. many, many, many feet of of uh, rocky coastline, and the storm surge really doesn't become uh, the issue. Josh, besides yeah. Haiyan, uh, what chase stands out to you or what storm stands out to you? It's a great question. You know, I, I made a top 10 list last year of like my top 10 greatest chases, and it was a subjective list based on, okay, what, what storms really just stood out to me because they were like the scariest or most awe-inspiring. Uh, Hyann is probably always going to remain my number one. I don't, I don't think anything is ever going to equal that in my life. Uh, but there, there are a few contenders for number two. Uh, probably one of the scariest was Hurricane Patricia. Uh, in the Eastern Pacific, which hit the West Coast of Mexico. So Hurricane Patricia, uh, the strongest hurricane or, or, or tropical cyclone ever recorded. Uh, and and I'm, I'm going by the wind speed. Uh, the, 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 you know, recon measured or, or analyzed sustained winds of 215 miles an hour, which is just like nuts. Um, right. The, the strongest, can, I think technically it's the strongest one minute average wind ever measured right that's the, exactly that's, that's the detail and it blew and it blows everything else out of the water mm -hmm. even some of the great sort of super typhoons from the western pacific i mean patricia just like i don't know that thing was just like a mutant hurricane and so the second can, lowest uh, pressure right the, the her yes. super typhoon tip had the exactly had the lowest pressure but that was a much bigger storm so this was a very concentrated uh, incredible uh, meteorological fluke. 
Exactly, exactly. And Patricia came within two millibars of Tips, so it almost yeah, it almost right. broke Tips' pressure record, and uh, and and it blew Tips' wins out of the water. Yeah. So, so Patricia, it weakened a little bit before it came ashore, but um, I was right where it came ashore, and by the time it hit, it was actually a very high end category for Hurricane. But the thing about Patricia, which made it so scary, was it was. It was very, very, very small. So, like the you know, people think of, of hurricanes as being really big, and and they generally are. But the the part of a hurricane that's meaningful, the scary part, is this little ring around the the center. So the center, as as your you know listeners know, is the it's calm, it's the eye. But the worst part of the hurricane is the ring around the eye. It's the eye wall. It's that it's that inner ring of the strongest winds. And and that's the you know you have to be in that to really experience the hurricane. So in Patricia. That eye wall was tiny. It was basically like a giant tornado. So the so the the hurricane hit, and the front side wasn't too bad. We probably had like category one, category two winds. We were we were in the eye for two minutes. It was just kind of calm, and then the backside hit, and and it was just basically like a nuclear bomb going off. And the, because the hurricane was so small, the worst of it lasted fifteen minutes. But it did the kind of destruction that I've seen in giant mega hurricanes like Haiyan, like Maria in Puerto Rico. It did all this incredible destruction in 15 minutes because the energy was so concentrated. I was in a building as it started to blow apart. I ended up with seven other people, including two toddlers, all of us crammed into a tiny bathroom under a mattress. That's how we survived Patricia. So the there's something about Patricia that just stood out in my mind because it was basically like an overgrown tornado. Just that the concentration of the energy was terrifying. Yeah. Of course we see those hurricane Charlie. We just had the 15th anniversary of hurricane Charlie was uh, one of those kind of storms in 2004 where the, and, and, and I don't remember when the, when Patricia came ashore, what the diameter of the eye was, but you know, uh, it was Charlie, even smaller than Charlie. It the, was at five miles Patricia's, or four miles or some kind of crazy number. I think, it, yeah, we were in the eye. It was so small. We were in it for like about, I don't know, like a minute or two. Like there was like a little bit of blue sky. And then it was just like it was it was even smaller than Charlie. It was just like this. It was basically like a large tornado coming on shore and it, and it hit one town and we were in it. Yeah. So when when you were uh, hunting for a place there in Mexico and this is now Patricia hit on the western mexico coast um what what which uh, city was that near was it mazatlan it was called emiliano zapata yeah, which but, was just but basically locate a, that for us on the mexican coast. it's between it's between puerto vallarta which a lot of people probably know right. of and manzanillo so it's manzanillo, on the west coast right, between, right. That's what I was between two major ports right. but it's in an area where there's really not a whole lot fortunately right. thankfully well so yes so you're looking in this area on the mexican coast for uh, a safe place that you can uh, ride out the storm, but also where the eye is going to come ashore. And you get the report that it's a 215-mile-an-hour sustained wind hurricane. I mean, what was going through your mind at that point? Did this seem like a good idea? Or did this seem oh, like a ridiculous house. idea? Or did this seem like even better idea because it was such a strong storm? I'll admit I was a little... A little freaked out. I mean, I'm a I'm an experienced chaser, but I'm I'm you know experienced enough to 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 know the dangers. And I remember with that one, just you know when the 
when the sustained winds went over 200 miles an hour, I remember just thinking, like, I remember the official advisory from the Hurricane Center came out saying sustained winds 200 miles an hour. And I remember just getting like a weak feeling in my stomach and just, you know, side of me just being like, oh, man, I just I just want to go home. You know, I'm like, I was literally scared. And, and I remember I was with my chase partner, Eric uh, from Guadalajara. You know, we were driving up and down the coast looking for a place to ride out this storm. And I, I couldn't find a, a building that I that I. I felt was appropriate for, for, for those wind speeds. And uh, I was, I was really spooked by that one, I have to say. Um, and, and it was a tough chase also because that part of Mexico, there isn't any radar and you use radar to really kind of fine tune your chase to really, to, to, you know, to, to get in that eye, to get in that inner core. We only had satellite images to work with and satellite images don't give you the level of detail and the eye, Patricia had a very, uh, you know, as, as hurricanes come ashore, as a lot of people know that uh, the eye, the, the eye often doesn't go in a straight line. It kind of wobbles a lot. So we were driving up and down the coast trying to kind of anticipate the wobbles. It was a very tough chase. I'm still kind of surprised we got in the eye. We ended up in a hotel that was uh, seemed like a fairly substantive building, but uh, it, it had major damage. I mean, we were let's just say we were lucky to get out of that in one piece. <laughs> so you're driving up and down the coast in Mexico and in Japan and Taiwan and Australia and the Philippines and trying to find the eye of these hurricanes how like logistically and practically speaking do you do that with the language issues and and uh, is 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 there just so much information now on google maps that that uh, you feel like you have the resources you need to know where you're going you know it's a great question uh, it, yes there, i mean there's so much more information i mean i, I you know you couldn't have i couldn't have chased storms the way i do now 20 years ago or even 10 just the level of just you know the level of information that's available in terms of like you know like satellite images and radar images every minute and just uh, and computer models and google maps and you could zoom in really close and use the satellite view to to see what buildings might be on this little part of the coast i mean it's just i i don't know how i could have done any of this before kind of the advent of all these technologies that having been said you know there there's it looks much easier when you're sitting at home looking at a computer than it than it is when you're actually on the ground. It's a th there's always just sort of unforeseen challenges in terms of like the roads not being good or or uh, you know the, the the elevation not being right or just like you know there not being enough buildings where you want to be. It's it's very. It, there's always just this this sort of like element on the ground that you don't anticipate. It's just there's always it's always like every chase I go into, it always seems like it's more complicated than I anticipated being. Well, it's not like Google Maps like points out which buildings would be safe in a hurricane. It just exactly. shows you where there are buildings, right? Shows exactly, you, yes. exactly. And, but you know, I know you go in and and establish your elevation to, so you can set your barometers and so forth. And I, I guess through that process, you have some confidence that you're high enough up if you're in a storm surge zone. Yeah, but, you know, that's like, I mean, you know, that's sort of my, that's my, my methodology kind of on, on a good day. But, you know, a lot of times, a lot of storms, you know, because I chase around the world and because I, <laughs> I have a habit of pulling the trigger at the very last second, mm -hmm. meaning, you know, I'll, I'll sit around, uh, you know, just racked with indecision for days about whether I should get on a plane to the Philippines to hunt some typhoon. And then when I finally decide, then it's like a mad rush, you know, it's landing in Manila, Manila and then, you know, you know, 
driving like a nut for 16 hours to get to northern Luzon and, and you know and, and literally I call it like sliding it to home plate as the as the typhoon's coming ashore to kind of get where the center is coming ashore literally as it's hitting so because of that because of you know my style of chasing because I'm refining my position down to the very last second because I want to get into that eye you know uh, because of that I often don't have the time to properly assess my final location in terms of, okay, is the elevation sufficient? Is this building sturdy? Things like that. There, there's, there's a, there's an inherent level of risk because some of the important decisions I make at the very, very last minute. And I've got to do that though, if I want to chase the way I do, because it's very important to me to get in the eye wall into the inner core of the typhoon to the hurricane. Basically, you know, I treat it like a sport and I keep score you know, in terms of like what are busts and what are wins. And if I get in the eye wall, it's a, it's a, it's a successful chase. If I miss the eye wall, it's a bust. And, uh, I really, I don't bust often. Last time I did was 2016. And, and when I do, it hurts. And uh, my, was that in Japan? Fear, was that, that you got on the wrong Island? I'm trying to remember. Um, <laughs> no, it was, uh, it, it was an Island situation. Um, yeah. And as you, as you know, Brian, I have a white hot hatred of, of I, what I call Island roulette, which is chasing uh, hurricanes and typhoons on Island chains. I hate it. I've had some of my greatest chases on Island chains, but man, I hate it because right, you like, get trapped on the wrong Island. And, and if there are no planes flying, you're pretty much not getting, to the next island up the chain. Exactly. So if I'm on a long stretch of coast like Texas or wherever else, I will just refine my position. I'll go up and down the coast till the very last second to get just in the right spot to nail the center. With uh, with an island chain like the Japan's Ryukyu Islands or the Bahamas, for example, you have to pick an island usually a day or two in advance. The airport shut down, and that might be the right island. It might not. And with Hurricane Matthew in 2016, I picked the wrong island. And what what made it especially painful was it was the wrong island by literally like two miles. I mean, the, the core, <laughs> the core of the hurricane just missed the island. So that was a, that was a really painful bust. And I'll tell you like, like a, you know, like a, like a tennis player losing the finals of Wimbledon. I take busts really hard. Like I was, I was like depressed for days after that one. So, so did, is your goal to, to chase every significant, uh, typhoon, hurricane, or or cyclone, or sometimes do you just choose? No, the the, the trip is too hard. As a, I just can't get there. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, like like what what do I chase? Which storms and why? How do I decide? It's a really good question. So my range is worldwide, and and, and it really is truly global now. Meaning, I'll chase in, in any hemisphere, in every uh, in any continent, and. Uh, and I am looking for, for the storms that I think are going to be, uh, you know, meteorologically interesting, which is another way of saying very strong and also that are, un, you know, unusual in some way. And, and basically, I, I would agree with what you were implying, which is that I'm really going for the, the storms I think are going to be significant. Uh, there's my, you know, desire to be in all these significant storms. And then there's just the logistical realities. Like one, one example of a place where I want to chase, but I haven't figured it out yet is Madagascar. So Madagascar gets, they get hurricanes. They call them cyclones down there. Kind of on the other uh, side of the world. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Other side of the world yes. and, and Southern Hemisphere. Southern so Hemisphere like, and difficult to get to, yes. Oh, it's, so getting from LA, like, first of all, it's like, it's usually a four star flight. It's like, you know, two connections. It takes, it's like 30 hours of traveling. So there's that, first of all. And then, and then, 
you get to Madagascar, the East Coast that gets most of the cyclones. You know, it's not it, it, this ain't Southeast Florida. Mm-hmm. You know, there there's like there's long stretches with no roads, no roads, no towns. So. So in, so it could be that I you know I literally go around the world to to hunt this thing down and then I can't even get where I where I need to be because the core of the cyclone is coming ashore in the middle of nowhere. So Madagascar is on my list, but but that's one where the logistical challenges have so far uh, kept me from hunting them down. And I wanted to I wanted to address one point you made earlier. You know, people joke they're like, "Wow, you're a hurricane chaser and you live in L.A." That doesn't make any sense. It actually does because. Yeah. I'm not just chasing in the Atlantic. I'm chasing in the Western Pacific. I'm chasing the Eastern Pacific. I'm chasing in Australia. And for what I do, LA is actually the very best spot. It's true that I can't ever drive to a hurricane, but I can get anywhere with one with one nonstop flight. So, all right, you have uh, one season of Hurricane Man under your belt. Uh, so, first of all, tell us once again about uh, when Hurricane Man is going to be on, how people can see it, and uh, what's next for Hurricane Man? Hurricane Man premieres, uh, se- season one premieres on Sunday, September 15th on Science Channel at 9 p.m. And it's an, it's an intense two-episode airing of it's the episodes one and two which cover hurricane michael and then every week after that it's 10 p.m on science channel it's an eight-part series so i hope that people will watch it so sunday now, sunday evenings nine o'clock the first week and then 10 at 10 p.m eastern time after that correct starting september 15th right at the peak of hurricane season so people will really have hurricanes on their mind and uh and right now we're working on uh putting the deal in play or getting a series two going uh you know i've i've learned uh through this process that tv is a complex business but uh we will get that figured out and there will soon be a series two or a season two all right all right, Josh Morgerman from Los Angeles. Thank you so much uh, for being on. And I can tell you I watched Hurricane Man's first episode last night. Can't wait to watch the uh, the second one. Josh was nice enough to give me a little preview so I knew what I was talking about here. All right, Josh, take care, and, and, and we'll talk to you soon. Be well. Thanks so much, Brian. So I don't know if I would want to do that. Um, you know, it's one thing to be in the studio and be up day and night uh, – tracking a hurricane and trying to communicate the threat from the hurricane. But uh, once you see what Josh has done to get to the center of the storm and get to the eye of the storm, it's, uh, it's uh, formidable. Uh, talking once again about, or let me mention this. I wanted to mention I am because some, uh, someday here on the podcast, I want to tell the, the story of uh, I am. Uh, Josh was there along with Jim Eds, who also, Chase that into Cloban, and then the week after Haiyan hit in the Cloban, which is in the central part of the Philippines, in the Visayas, it's called, uh, the Weather Channel asked me to uh, go uh, because NBC was going, and NBC had set up a uh, sort of an encampment there, and it was quite a story. So I'll uh, tell that story one of these days coming up here on the podcast. Uh, talking about this hurricane season, just uh, one of the things to note that Dr. Phil Kotzbach uh, uh, mentioned the other day, and that is that, which I didn't know until uh, he added it up, he is the, the guru of hurricane stats, that starting on the 10th of August and going from then until the 21st of October, a hurricane has made landfall on every one of those dates. So that's how we know that uh, we're in the heart of hurricane season. This part of August here today being the 15th of August, 
We've only had one hurricane in this part of August, in this middle of August, and that was back in 1888 in South Florida. The Miami Beach hurricane, estimated to have been a Category 3, came ashore on the 16th of August in uh, in Miami Beach. So, uh, or 16th or 17th of August in Miami Beach. All right, next week we have two... A podcast for you. First, we're going to talk with Mark Suddeth. Now, you may not know his name. I know many of you do know his name if you really follow hurricanes, but you will know his videos because I've known Mark for a number of years and nobody has worked harder than Mark Suddeth to get cameras in places in hurricanes so we can see things we have never seen before. His video of the storm surge coming ashore in Hurricane Michael in Mexico Beach is the preeminent uh, storm surge video, I think, that exists. Uh, So Mark Suddeth we'll have on next week uh, on one podcast. And then also Jim Cantore, the storm tracker himself from the Weather Channel, will be on on uh, another podcast, two coming up next week in August uh, here in 2019. So for now, uh, from the WPLG Local 10 Podcast Studio in Miami, I'm Brian Norcross for Luke Doris, and we'll be back next week with two for you. Have a good week, everybody.